Welcome to another very special episode very. of Under the Bar Podcast. This You're is here a big one. With uh, Coach Rodden Dubois. TDM. I am uh, Coach Hewitt. Hewitt. And uh, we're here to bring you a, a very special... And look, it's been a long time coming, Rodden. It has. It's been on the cards for a while. It has. Look, uh, certainly in the in the area that you work, there's... Um, the murky. The murky, murky world in which you dwell. And just within the health and fitness industry in yeah. general, there is this issue Elephant. of... The elephant in the room, the anabolic steroid use. Yes. I guess as you get deeper into the industry, it seems to be more and more prolific, yeah. whether yeah. you just notice more of it or or whether use is increasing. I'm not exactly sure, but we've never really thoroughly addressed it on this program, on this yeah. podcast, and we thought this would be the time. And our very special guest coming up is Dr. Michael Scally. Yeah. And I dare Scallywag, say that a lot of our listeners out there are not aware of Dr. Scally. No, interestingly, like I, I've thrown it out there to people that I, I would have thought uh, would have heard of him, but uh, but like, oh no, I haven't. Yeah, look, he keeps a low profile yeah. online compared to a lot of people yep. out there. I mean, yep. he's very clinically engulfed in what he's doing. So, uh, but Rodden, you've actually been mentoring with Dr. Scully for quite a few years now. Uh, I mean, you have an arrangement where you have access to him email access to him over the course of the year yep, and yep, when yep. Uh, any issues with athletes or people you, want, you, need to, you need to check things dot I's cross T's yeah. he's one of the primary sources in the industry you can go to to find out about uh, the use of anabolics and, and yeah. also very importantly Rawdon this concept of post-cycle therapy Yep, uh, and he's really been the pioneer of post-cycle therapy in the industry yeah yeah well I mean that's the thing like I I do get exposed to uh, individuals, athletes that are, you know, have gone down that route, and um, basically, you know, my my stance on that is is along the lines of, uh, you know, if they're going to do it, then okay, cool. Well, let's uh, let's get someone who does know a lot about it, and uh, let's get someone who does know a lot about it to look at your blood chemistry and and actually just make sure that uh, nothing nasty is happening along the way. So it's. It, it, you know, are you condoning it? Well, they're going to use them anyway. I'm not telling them to use them, but if they are going to use them, then let's run your bloods and, and let's, uh, you know, uh, refer out, get them reviewed and make sure that uh, if anything needs further attention, then we can direct, um, you know, a, a more thorough look or further testing. But, um, but yeah, I've, I've been, uh, I guess, working with partly just just to learn myself. I mean, I'm I'm really fascinated by that side of things, and our listeners will be well aware that that you know I uh, am on testosterone uh, therapy, um, and and that's monitored through through a doctor, and I, I get checkups every six months, and and that's all going fine, and and just the the quality of life that uh, unfolded when I did address uh, that side of things for me personally is is you know it's light and day and and uh over the years i've been in the industry i've referred uh, colleagues and um uh, i guess colleagues and uh, their uh, clients gen pop that they're working with um uh, to, to to this particular doctor that does that does uh handle the the testosterone um uh, therapy side of things so he will review and uh, recommend accordingly if he sees fit. Yep. And uh, no super physiological doses. You can't uh, can't be sneaky, sneaky, and because uh, yep. you get monitored every six months, and everything's kept, uh, you know, on board and 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 uh, within the, the healthy guidelines. But uh, so yeah, myself working with Dr. Scally has been a, on a, an educational level. Yes. And uh, also yeah, peace of mind. So at the very least, if I'm overseeing 
what these guys, I mean, I'm doing their training and nutrition, um, and then let that side of things be uh, overseen by by someone with far more experience. And I yeah. feel a little bit better about the whole thing, about the whole process. And yeah, we should make the distinction that what we're actually talking to Dr. Scally about is well beyond testosterone replacement therapy yeah um what we're dealing with here is addressing the issues of those super physiological doses you're referring to that people are using for performance enhancing purposes yep i don't have a skill set with that rawdon so this interview was a real education for me yeah one of the most fascinating interviews that we've done on this episode and well very pleasingly from my perspective rawdon uh dr scally was just a great person to talk to yeah and certainly from the email exchanges that you and he have shared over the years i mean back in the early days we were yeah. <laughs> one word know, answers you would shoot off a quite a long dissertation on a client situation need to get something and you get back at yes yeah yeah yeah, nope. yeah 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 very very black and white very um i was this is this evidence based might not augur well for a podcast yeah well, one word we, answers we were we were a little uh hesitant and you yeah. know, there were no sort of uh, balls deeps or wizard sleeves thrown at him and we were, we were <laughs> dotting I's and crossing T's and, and um, you know, a nervous anticipation with yeah. this one. But but he was one of the easiest guys we had to Wonderful. interview. Wonderful, loved yeah. it. He had a bit of a chin wag about yeah. his, I think we spoke about his cat and he bitten by a dog, dog I think, yeah. at the And start. then I think by the end we had him we had him roostering around the yeah. place from memory. Yeah, we, we, we wore him down as we do. Yeah. So absolutely... Uh, you know, th- thoroughly pleasurable on, on your and my behalf yep. uh, interviewing Dr. Skelly and uh, surprisingly humble for everything he's done. But yeah, um, but yeah awesome interview. So this will be part one. It was an extended chat. It went over an hour and a half, I believe. So yeah. this will be part one of, uh, of his interview. We'll set the scene. We'll get a background on yep. on Dr. Scally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, we'll mm-hmm. go into some of the physiology of what's actually going on yep. under the hood, as we like to say. Yeah. And uh, yeah, let the education begin. Yeah. Under the Bar podcast, Tom and Rawdon in here once again. Mm. Rawdon, well, I guess it's the uh, the elephant in the studio that we haven't addressed as yet, and we're you know I guess mm. seventy odd episodes into a podcast over the stretch oh. of a couple of years, and mm. certainly given the the kind of work that you do, mate, with the um, the very specific demographic you're working with, yep. uh, and um, some of the enhancement tools and strategies <laughs> yeah, that, uh, tread carefully Tom <laughs> be careful what you say don't reference anyone or any federation but yeah, yeah but definitely. we haven't really addressed the issue of anabolic steroids yeah uh, I mean we, we've certainly touched on uh, testosterone therapy which mm. uh, our guest today will will talk about that sort of stuff as well but uh, but no it's a, a, a I guess still a bit of a a taboo topic uh, in society, full stop. Yeah. Um, but also um, on the podcast or, or just on, on social media. So, um, yeah, you're right. It is a bit of a, an elephant in the room. Yeah. As we mentioned at the top of the show, our guest is Dr. Michael Scally. Mm-hmm. I could rattle off a fairly extensive bio of what he's done, but we might get him to do that. But probably what's of more relevance, Rawdon, is that you've been actually uh, working with or, or receiving yeah. mentorship from Dr. Scally for oh, it must be four or five years now. It's quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. I've been... Uh, I uh, hit him up on... Uh, sourced him and hit him up on... Um, emailed him and... Because I was working with uh, some athletes that, that were choosing to go down that route of, mm. uh, of using some some enhancement to prepare, prepare them for uh, physique competition. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I just really 
wanted to make sure that these individuals were not doing themselves uh, as much as they accept responsibility for what they're doing. But these individuals weren't actually uh, uh, putting themselves into an early grave uh, yeah. and, and not doing things. I uh, were doing things the wrong way. So um, I guess I uh, contacted uh, Dr. Scally and, and um, you know, sending blood chemistry. So I'd, I'd, I'd get my athletes to run their bloods and then we would uh, send it over to Dr. Scally for review and uh, critique and... Um, and yeah, ask various questions along the way. But yeah, I think four or five years been uh, via email. Yeah, very cool. Yes, it's been uh, an interesting journey. I know in the early days when you were working with him, you'd send through quite a long email, <laughs> listing out all your issues and get a one-word answer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Very, no. Very black and white with Dr. Scally. <laughs> but, uh, but that's, you know, that kind of thinking is, uh, is wonderful to step yes. back and be... You know, just passionate about these things and just give facts, which is awesome. So, uh, Dr. Scally, mate, thank you for coming on the program. We really appreciate your time and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me and good evening, or I should say good morning. Yeah, good morning for us. Evening for you. You're in... uh uh, Texas. Texas. Houston, Texas. Texas yeah? yeah. Austin, Texas. You've got to be careful of the dogs around Texas. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Those, ones. those vicious dogs, uh, Dr. Scully. You've got to be careful of them, mate. And the cats. All right. Well, Dr. Scully, uh, obviously you have a background yourself in, um, in bodybuilding and a, a long professional career. Do you reckon you could just bring our listeners up to speed with um, your career thus far and what's led you down the path you, you currently pursue? Sure. Um, try not to make it too long. Uh, did my undergraduate degrees in chemistry and biology at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. That's in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And then I did my graduate degree at the uh, uh, MIT also in neuroendocrine sciences. And then my medical degree at Harvard Medical School. Oh. Uh, after that, went into uh, anesthesiology. Uh, became an anesthesiologist. And... Uh, during this time, I guess I was in pretty good shape, uh, really running about 10 miles a day and uh, exercising quite a bit. That all came to the wayside once I became a doctor and started working. Yeah, yes. And during that time, uh, as an anesthesiologist, uh, I recall to this day a funny little uh, piece of advice a guy gave me one time. And he said, uh, if your waistline is ever greater than your age after the age of 35, you're going to die of a heart attack if you don't do something soon. Okay. So okay. I was I was 39 and I had a 40 inch waist. Uh oh. I had let, I had let myself go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what I did is I embarked on a um, exercise routine. So as an anesthesiologist, you start your day at 6:30 in the morning because mm. uh, the first case is typically 7 o'clock in the morning when they put the knife to the skin and cut. You have to get there a little bit early. So it wasn't too hard for me to start at 5 a.m. Uh, and uh, exercise for an hour every day. Yeah. And I did. And then uh, approximately three out, three years after I started, uh, my trainer said he wanted me to compete. Yeah. And uh, I really didn't want to, but he went and enrolled me in the Mr. Texas competition. Wow. And in 1994, I placed second. I was uh, 198 pounds, about four or five percent body fat. Uh, to this day, I couldn't believe it. I had a 27-inch waist. Wow, was, I just couldn't believe it. I had to buy pants in the junior section. Oh, <laughs> and and I, I will just chime in there. And, and if anyone uh, does actually, I think they can still Google pics of uh, Dr. Mike Scally and some bodybuilding pics do come up, and it's uh, very very respectable, mate. Some good uh, aesthetics. Good aesthetics. Yeah, yeah. Are you serious? I gotta <laughs> get those off the net. So anyhow, one of the things that um, happened is that when I was in the gym. Uh, the guy that I had a, tra- I had a trainer, 
and he had competed a number of times, and he was one of these guys that was like 275 pounds and well-known, and he was very well-known. Yeah. And uh, people uh, would start to come up to me and ask me questions once they found out I was a doctor. And the questions they were asking me really had very little to do about what kind of anabolics or anabolic steroids to, to use, but what to do when they got off. Yeah. So that was my introduction. And as an anesthesiologist, uh, you can imagine what we're most familiar with as anesthesiologists are drugs, pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics, how drugs affect the body, what they do to the body. So it was sort of like just right down my pathway. Plus on top of that, my graduate work was in the neuroendocrine regulation of the gonads. That was part of my uh, graduate work. Yeah. So it seemed like all things were fitting together. And so I really didn't have an answer for some of these guys because this was a new question for me. So I started investigating it and then I started treating them. I stopped becoming an anesthesiologist and I went into private practice and I started treating what we now know as anabolic steroid induced hypergonadism. That's how it began to that's, that point. Then after right, that, right. I published literature, I published a book, etc. Okay. And, and, and I guess you like, uh, from my end, like, and, and some of the listeners will, will 100% be aware of your work, but you're um, famous, I guess, uh, post-cycle therapy well, but you're post-cycle, uh, I think it's the Dr. Scali post-cycle, the power protocol. I think mm. it's, uh, there's, there's a lot of, uh, and I think it's it sort of evolved over time, but there's a lot of uh, information about a, a post-cycle uh, therapy using certain um, uh, pharmaceuticals to uh, re-establish uh, natural production of, of your own uh, testosterone for guys that, that are off of cycle. And that's what uh, Dr. Scali was alluding to there. So, mm. yeah, absolutely fascinating, mate, that, um, you know, that, that that's how it uh, all unfolded for you. Yes, all things in the path leading you to that... Organic, uh, Tom. ...to that point, an organic, organic evolution. So... Dr. Scully, why don't we, um, before we get to the post-cycle therapy side of things, why don't we um, start having a look at, at, I guess, what anabolic steroids actually do to the body and where they originated from and how yeah. we, you know, how they came into into bodybuilding culture. I'm assuming that they were first produced for uh, medical reasons, muscle wastage, or for sure. I mean, uh, I don't know the details, uh, some of the mis- medical history. I did read today, just as a, an aside. It was in 1935, almost 100 years ago, that testosterone was first uh, isolated. And so it's been close to 100 years, but yes, basically, it is for the uh, masculine effects that we have seen on our body and the muscular effects, the anabolic effects. Mm. Uh, testosterone is the basically a hormone, uh, and everything we call anabolic steroids are different variations on that. All right, so it was created uh, originally for medical use, and then... I think originally, if uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're probably uh, familiar with this as well, Dr. Scully, but I think originally they started using it in sport and, and I think it was, uh, they um, didn't think it was performance enhancing for quite a while and then they, you know, had to eventually conclude that it was and, and then obviously they banned it in sport and everything else. Is, was, was that sort of a, a, a natural sort of evolution there of, of, of um, you know, I guess performance enhancing drugs? Yes, I mean, the, the uh, amazing thing to me, or the ironic thing to me, is that you were exactly right. For the longest time, the medical community, now I, I want to stress the medical community, mm. took the position that anabolic steroids did not increase muscle mass or athletic performance. Yet, <laughs> for, ye- for years, we saw what it was doing to the bodybuilding community and to these people that were a- actually taking them. So we have something that's right in front of our faces. 
Yeah. We know from anecdotal reports and stuff that's occurring in the literature, but yet the medical community, even up until the year 2000 approximately, <laughs> they were still saying it didn't do anything as far as muscle building or athletic performance. In fact, a, a, a doctor named E.O. Wilson, who was one of the premier andrologists out of Southwest Texas Medical School in, in Dallas, Texas, hmm. wrote a review in one of the major endocrine journals, the Endocrine Review, that anabolic steroids, because they did not cause any kind of muscle mass increase and people continue to take them, they were therefore addictive. Do you understand what I'm, I'm getting there? Right. So in other words, they said, since anabolic steroids don't do any of this muscle stuff, the only reason that people keep taking them is because it's got some kind of psychological thing, much like morphine or heroin, yeah. and that's why people keep taking it. And on top of that, uh, he said that it was ridiculous to think that the different types of anabolic steroids, Winstrol, Nandrolone, Trembolone, uh, Testosterone, would affect the body different. In other words, he said there was no difference between any of these compounds at all, and therefore the idea that they would take different ones for different effects was absolutely ridiculous. This is another kind of uh, bias by the medical community because it is so blatantly wrong and laughable in the just on its face. Yeah. And the reason I say that is, why are they saying this about anabolic steroids when they don't say this about different types of beta blockers? Beta blockers are a type of drug that block the beta receptor in the body. Yeah. Why wouldn't you say all the different types of beta blockers that are affected do the same thing? And yeah. why do we have different ones that do different things in the body, but they affect the same receptor? In other words, they were using their bias and prejudice only against anabolic steroids, which is right. true. We've, we, have not, we now see that anabolic steroids, and possibly more so in Australia than even in the United States, is probably the most politicized group of drugs ever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't know of any group of drugs that has specific laws prohibiting their use to increase muscle mass. Yeah. But yet you can, you can eat all the donuts you want and have heart disease. Heaven forbid that you go to a doctor and he goes, you know something? You're a little bit fat. We need to put you on a program that we can increase your muscle mass and lower your fat mass. Yeah. But even to this day, and I probably didn't destroy it, you can't do that unless you're found to be hypogonadal. Yeah, hundred percent. You yeah. you hit the nail on the head there, mate. Yeah, look, that's uh, that's very interesting, and I, I think there's a a large discrepancy in the way people who have been using anabolic steroids when they present to a GP, the way they actually get treated, the way it's you, yeah. you know that that treatment is recognised uh, in the medical in industry in Australia as well. It's it's very interesting. One of the things I found is when the patients come to me uh, is that uh, first of all. They're treated like pariah when they go to a doctor if they tell them they're using anabolic steroids. Mm, yeah. They're treated like outcasts. Almost they're treated like they have some kind of disease. But the thing that's really sort of surprising is that most individuals that come to me about uh, using anabolic steroids, they will say this and they go, Doc, one of the reasons why I didn't want to go to another doctor or what I did go to another doctor is I knew more than they knew. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, no idea what to do as far as treatment is, what kind of blood work to do, what kind of uh, things I should be looking out for. It's changing a little bit now more and more, but it's still a highly politicized body and because of the laws, many doctors are afraid to treat people that use anabolic steroids for that simple reason, it's, it's, they don't want to get crossed with the law. Mm. 
And so, so what are their? Um, we'll go down and discuss this for a little bit. Generally, what's um, what do the, the medical community do? Like, um, are they encouraged when they're at medical school? Not is it something that's covered in any way? Or like you said, it's it's changing. But if I, you know, if I use anabolics and I go to my doctor and say, you know, I've stopped and I'm, I'm having these uh, these issues now. Um, what what what's their generally their stance? Do they just turn them away, or uh, I think most many do turn them away. But here's the problem: if they do develop hypogonadism, most doctors have no idea what to do, even to this day. Uh, there's a general consensus amongst, or general thought amongst many endocrinologists and uro, uh, urologists, that they feel like if they do nothing, the body's normal production comes back. Yeah, that may be true to some extent. Uh, but what do you do during that period of time when it's coming back in the type of anatomy? Patient can suffer a lot of things and it can go on for a long time. And okay. for some people, it may not come back at all. Um, okay. No one wants to be depressed, losing muscle mass, gaining fat, uh, be at an increase for a risk for a heart attack, hmm. uh, and waiting for something to come back to normal when it may not come back to normal. Uh, and yeah. particularly, there are no studies that really show that that's the case. So that's the most typical response of a doctor. Okay. But then they, then they may be said, well, you have a low testosterone level, so we're going to give you testosterone. But in many individuals, that's the last thing they want because they're coming to you because they want to get off the anabolics, yeah. return their body back to normal, and they, they know the testosterone is going to do nothing but suppress them again. And then we have the crackpots. <laughs> crackpots put you on testosterone and go, yeah, what we're going to do is we're going to wean you off it. We're going to decrease the dosage. Well, that doesn't work. Has never been shown to work, and we'll do nothing but just make things worse. Okay, so why don't we uh, just for our listeners that might—I mean, you're you're talking about hypogonadal and um, uh, HPTA. Uh, why don't we just talk about um, what actually happens when when an individual does uh, use anabolic steroids? So they've uh, gone down that route, and they've obviously you know the body puts on muscle mass and all, all the benefits so we could then what actually happens to their 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 i guess their endogenous production they're putting in exogenous um a testosterone so can we maybe uh, explain to the listener what actually happens uh it's something to do with the feedback loop uh so the body mm. uh, senses that there's a additional testosterone so it shuts down its natural production can we explore that for our listeners sure uh, I don't know how uh, familiar your audience is, but basically we have what's called the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis. In this case, the gonads would be the testes for the man, ovaries for the woman. So we call it the HPTA, the hypothalamic pituitary testicular axis. And what that is is basically a feedback loop between the brain, pituitary, and the gonads, the testes, to control the level of testosterone in your body. Okay. And if you intersect anywhere in that loop, you can change what the body does as far as producing the testosterone. And so what typically happens in the what in general the feedback loop is this. As the as the brain and the pituitary produce a certain hormone called luteinizing hormone, LH, it stimulates the testes to produce testosterone. The yep. body produces the testosterone and once it gets to a certain level, it inhibits the brain's production of LH. So you have this nice little feedback loop. Yep. Involved in this also is estradiol, which is a, we think of as a female hormone, but men produce it too. Estradiol comes from the conversion from testosterone. So what happens is when you take anabolic steroids from the outside, 
exogenous, as the term you use, it artificially raises the level of your so-called testosterone in the blood or androgens yep. and it inhibits the brain to producing those hormones that stimulate the testes. Yep. So that's why you'll end up having the testes won't be working. You'll have what you could think of as factitious hypogonadism at that time. You're not, your hypogonadal is from the aspect that the, the testes are not producing testosterone because you have outside hormones coming in. Okay. You're not, you won't recognize that until you stop taking those outside hormones. So it's not so much like a thermostat in your house that when the temperature goes off, on or off, it clicks right on. In this case, it takes a body a while to respond so that you get back to normal. And in some cases, you may not come back to normal at all. And that's where we get the term ASIH, anabolic steroid-induced hypogonadism. Okay. Okay, all right. So basically there you have a natural production, this nice feedback loop, and it's all harmonious and, and, and wonderful if everything's working well. then we, And then they uh, introduce a, an external source or an exogenous uh, supply of testosterone so the body senses hey well there's lots of testosterone I don't need to produce any and it shuts down it na its natural production and the whole issue with when the the individual stops using supplementation is that the body is has been suppressed for whatever length of time and it's like you said sometimes it, 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 it may take a, a you know uh, a few months but other times it, it may never come back and that's your your position is uh, rather than just uh, waiting and, and, and hoping is to do something active through um, you know, what we'll talk about shortly, but actually intervene and, um, uh, I guess, induce that natural production sooner rather than later so they don't experience all those things like fat gain and, and, and losing the muscle mass and depression and you know, cardiovascular risk etc. And, and libido issues, of course, and, and uh, all, all of the above. Mm -hmm. Correct. And there's no reason, from a physician standpoint of view, there's no reason not to do that to get them back to normal quicker uh, without going through those uh, symptoms. Mm. Uh, particularly if you don't know uh, what's going to happen to them, because the worst that could happen is if you do this trial to get them back to normal and it doesn't work, at least you know that their body is not getting back to normal and you, can, and you install a therapy. Instead of waiting and doing nothing, let them become symptom, have similar symptoms mm. and try and do something later. Yeah, it's sort of, yeah. it's quite funny, but when you think about it, like any other disease or cardiovascular risk, well, you go have a heart attack and then come back and we'll, uh, you know, then we'll treat the symptoms, you know, or treat the situation. It's like, well, no, these are the symptoms that are going to occur. I want to prevent them from occurring, mm. but it's like, go away and, and, and let it occur. And then, you know, hopefully it'll all come back to normal. It sounds like a... A pretty yeah. tough waiting game. Well, even more so, Rodan, you can walk into a doctor with a heroin addiction or something like that, exactly. and there'll be actually a program and a treatment plan that they can put you in a methadone clinic or whatever yeah. to for, for an illicit substance. So there's just no program for like that for anabolic steroid use. That's that's absolutely fascinating. So, is that the penultimate goal? Uh, and I know you're quite vocal on this uh, on the on your stance with with post cycle therapy being a common practice. Uh, is that your ultimate? Uh, uh, vision is to have an awareness and an actual, uh, you know, poly, uh, procedure in place for, for, for these situations. Absolutely, absolutely. I think the more the more studies we can be doing done, and particularly within larger institutions, the better we are at treating anabolic steroids and all of its side effects and what it does. We need to get away from this idea of anabolic steroids being so scary. Mm -hmm. We need to get away from the idea of being politicized. 
We've gone on for decades now where people are becoming progressively more obese. We're not, we don't seem to be afraid of all the fat that's being accumulated by people everywhere. Yeah. But there seems to be this kind of muscle paranoia amongst societies. And uh, I'm not talking about, you know, we don't, we're not talking about getting people muscular like they are in the competitions like the Olympic or, or yeah. other competitions. Just the idea that it's okay for people other than athletes to have muscle. Yeah. It's okay to show off muscle. And it's okay to develop programs, if they do include anabolic steroids, to increase your muscle mass. And then if we have programs that you'll be able to take them and come off them without any side effects, why not develop those programs? And specifically, we're going to see this more and more. And the reason being is that we finally realize that it has to be done to help people. And what kind of people am I talking about? Older people. Yeah. Right. Okay. My, my generation has probably become the one that's instilled this paranoia about muscle, but as the older generation comes around and we're getting to have a larger percentage of people who are getting to be over 65, I turned 65 two days ago, by the way. Oh, wow. Well done. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 all those commercials are now hitting me right in the head. But the, my, here it is. I think you may have heard, you may not have heard of the, of the conditions called frailty and yeah. sarcopenia. Frail is just like it sounds. It's the condition of losing muscle mass, an ability to function, and sarcopenia is the loss of muscle. Okay. And that occurs as we get older. Wouldn't it be great if we could give these people programs, 12 weeks, 16 weeks of anabolic steroids to increase their muscle mass, have them come off without any side effects, and therefore they increase their quality of living. They're able to walk better, yeah. move around better, etc. And I think you're gonna see that possibly more and more in the future, because we already have certain drugs in the pipeline uh, to reverse that condition. The problem being is the, polit the politics of anabolic steroids is gonna be very hard to overcome to get these drugs approved. But as people get older, I think, and as we move past the idea of the paranoia, I think maybe, uh, Maybe within the next 10 to 20 years, we'll see more and more anabolic steroids used for that purpose. Now that you explain it like that, Dr. Scully, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess what you were touching on before about the politicizing of the drug and the, and the fear factor out there, I've got to say from my perspective, I'm a little fearful of it. I mean, I'm surrounded by people in the industry and I see the benefits, the way their physiques change and the strength What are you gains. looking at me for? <laughs> and, and, you know, I, there are aspects of that that are very appealing to me. But then when you describe what happens to the HPT axis, mm. that's when I get this little bit of fear factor that comes in. And, and uh, from my perspective, who is a bit of a layman really uh, with this side of things, there's still a stigma in my brain as to whether anabolic steroids can actually be taken without any side effects or without any harm being done. Is that what you're actually suggesting for an older population? But, well, I agree with you 100%. If you're taking them not under supervision, then you're risking all the kind of problems that can occur. And the most common one is the hypogonadism. But the ones, the ones where they're now being studied are in the elderly population. Yeah, they're being studied in the elderly population uh, for frailty and sarcopenia. That's mm. what they're being looked at right now. They're, looking at, they're also being looked at for cancers, uh, cancer patients. Because one of the things that happen to cancer patients, they lose quite a bit of muscle mass, yeah, yeah. and they're being investigated for that purpose at all as, as well. 
Yeah, um, uh, and I but, guess I guess Tom, sorry to cut you off there. I guess Tom's point with uh, I guess it's uh, for you, you know, your muscle mass is good, so it's not really as much as you might like more muscle. It's not really what they're for. Yeah, and I guess that aging population is more about just improving their quality of life and you know shutting down uh, and then re reestablishing the HPTA is 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 far less. Uh, you know, significant for someone that's a, an older demographic because yeah. the, the the positives of, of increased muscle mass and mobility and, and strength would out, far outweigh uh, the shutdown of uh, any inhibition of the HPTA. I'm assuming. Would that be right, Dr. Skelling? Yes. Uh, yes. But let me be clear about one thing. You you'll never get a drug approved for just muscle mass. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Because that's not a clinical endpoint. Someone could have more muscle mass, but yet if they can't work better, there's there's certain there's certain types of clinical endpoints. One of them is called a, uh, a step step raising. In other words, how fast they go up and down steps. Yeah. Another one, another one's called a, a, a sitting and raising. So they have to be able to do something better by accumulating the muscle mass to improve what they call a QOL quality of life. Yeah. Right. So it's not just uh, uh, the muscle, but the muscle as as the means to having a better quality of life. Okay, so more okay. functionality. Exactly, functionality. Hmm. Well, I agree with Tom, and, and, and you're probably the first to say there's still a, even in the U.S., still a stigma associated with with anabolics um, use. Like, what what is the, what, why is this so? Like, aside from the politics aside from it and the, the maybe a government stance on it, like, why... I mean, there from my perspective, there, there seems to be this this aggression that and and this association with with anabolic use is is this something that does actually like what are the types of things that um, I guess the the misconceptions with with anabolic use like I would assume that from what I've seen anyway the the, the aggression if you're you know <laughs> an angry you know someone that probably has low testosterone uh, you know is is cranky and uh, has poor libido and, and low energy is probably likely to be far more aggressive than someone that has a, a higher testosterone uh, be looking and feeling a million bucks but yeah like what what are those uh, some of those misconceptions w- with anabolics is is that one of them that that, that, that aggression yeah. is is comes hand in hand with anabolic use that, that's definitely one i think uh not knowing the detailed history of the uh, politics completely, except from what I've read, and I've read it quite a bit, is that the reason for it, the laws on anabolic steroids came about because of ath- the Olympics, ath- yeah. athletes, yeah. to try and so-called level the playing field. Well, we've seen how that's worked out, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, they've just figured out every kind of which way to get around that. Yeah. I guess the biggest one we hear about in the, uh, in the news was called CLEAR, THG, uh, which was a... Uh, the custom-made steroid that was used for years that was undetectable, but hmm. so it's actually done nothing as really as far as stopping the steroids in, in uh, athletics, uh, but it sure raised the specter. And we got all these myths that came out, and one of them was called roid rage, which is yeah. what you just mentioned. Yeah, and you're exactly right. They've done studies where they've had increased testosterone levels in people, and they found it didn't cause roid rage. Yeah. And you're more likely to see it in people who have lower testosterone levels, uh, just like uh, just like you said. Okay. Uh, so that would be the, the major one that I guess the myth is out there. But another myth that's out there, and this is it causes prostate cancer or cancer. Yeah. Sure, you may have heard that. Yep. There's mm. no evidence whatsoever anywhere ever to be found that anabolic steroids cause cancer or even prostate cancer. And this all comes back again to just being a reasonable, logical individual and don't let yourself succumb to all this paranoia. 
here's the here's the thing. Prostate cancer occurs amongst who? Young men or old men? Old, old men. Old men, yeah. Testosterone levels are high in young men or old men? In young men. Mm. My goodness. The <laughs> testosterone levels go down as we get older and the prostate cancer levels go up. You see how that doesn't all of a sudden that doesn't compute. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. And the reason that came about is because a Nobel Prize was awarded to a guy named Huggins who found that if you castrated men with prostate cancer, actually castrated them, their prostate cancer went into remission. Okay? Yeah. But mm. what people don't know when they read more about the Nobel Prize is it doesn't go away, it comes back and it's worse. <laughs> it develops, it develops what's called metastatic resistant prostate cancer. So although he got this Nobel Prize, Everybody went and took that and went farther with it than what the actual studies showed. And what we now know is that you can give testosterone to people who have prostate cancer and it doesn't cause it to be worsened. On top of that, there are now studies being done with high dose testosterone therapy for treatment of people with prostate cancer. Doesn't that make your head spin a little bit? Mm. And is that is that from the angle of uh, you know young men don't have it, so their testosterone levels are higher, so they're trying to see if if, if that does a, a, a affect prostate. I don't know how they came about testing that. It's called bipolar androgen therapy. I can't stand the, the name because bipolar makes it seem like it's a psychiatric disorder, yeah. but it is called bipolar androgen therapy, and it's being done out of Johns Hopkins University, actually, which you know it's not some kind of crazy person doing it. Yeah. But no, uh, uh, it's supposed to do something with the, uh, to stabilize the DNA. And so after they stabilize the DNA with the high uh, dose androgen therapy, then they just then they follow it up with other therapy to kill the cells off. And so far, you know, they, the limited studies that have been published and produced, it's showing some promise. Okay. But the point, the point still being, I don't want to get too uh, much in the details, mm. is that testosterone and anabolic steroids do not cause cancer. They do not cause prostate cancer, and they can be used safely, testosterone, with people who have prostate cancer. Okay, okay. absolutely fascinating. Um, okay, we're talking about uh, the prostate and um, health concerns with, with anabolic use. Obviously, there's, there's two, two uh, scenarios that our listeners might be aware of. One would be a, a sort of what you're talking about with the older demographic, which would be a testosterone uh, therapy type uh, scenario, not super physiological doses. And there would obviously be a myriad of health benefits with that. And we've had uh, Dr. John Chrysler, who you're probably aware of, and, and Nelson Virgil on and, and talking about the health benefits of, uh, you know, uh, those on testosterone therapy compared to those men that aren't. Um, what about, uh, what are the, so we have, say we have listeners that are, ha, slash have uh, used anabolics, uh, considering using anabolics, not that we want to give them a, a blueprint on how to use it and, uh, or anything like that, but, but what are the, some of the health concerns aside from shutting down your natural production and, um, and obviously the consequence of coming off and having this absence of, of natural testosterone production, what are some of the other health concerns that, that, the, that occur with, because so far it sounds like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's good for prostate, it's, it might, may well help prostate, high doses, like what are, surely there are some, some, some negatives that, that do occur with, with anabolic steroid use. Sure, I mean, uh, hair loss, uh, gonococcus or developed breast tissue, 
Yep. Uh, acne. Okay. Uh, those are those are probably the, the major major ones uh, that people uh, worry about. Um, those are the ones that come quick, quickly to mind. What about um, uh, under the hood, uh, a little deeper below? What cardiovascular risk? Is there any? Um, uh, we're talking, if we're talking about testosterone replacement therapy, there's no no known increased cardiovascular risk. There there are a number of studies calling associations with cardiovascular risk for super physiological uh, anabolic use. Uh, in, in that case, I would say yes. And they're not quite sure how it develops. It could be a development of hypertension, high blood pressure, or it could be a direct effect upon their cardiac muscle. Okay. okay. So there are a few, aside from those, um, I guess for our, for our listeners, aside from the, the obvious ones like you described, the, the gynomastica, which is an estrogen, build-up of estrogen-related issue, the, the hair loss, um, you know, uh, acne, those sorts of things, there are some uh, cardiovascular risk associated uh, with with high dose uh, long term use, what about the the liver with uh, the orals? You know, you hear some of those are uh, uh, hard on the liver. Are they also uh, a part of the body that, that does get challenged by anabolic use? Hepatotoxicity, liver toxicity, is one that you see mentioned a number of times, uh, particularly on the forums. Mm. But the degree of hepatotoxicity from anabolic steroids is almost slim fat none. Okay. Um, it occurs basically in people who might use higher dosages for a prolonged period of time who don't have any kind of uh, follow-up. And, and okay. You bring up a good point here, and, and I want to get back to this because this is, this is important and hopefully this does occur. Right now when people use anabolic storage in super physiological amounts, they have to resort to the forums or to their bro or somebody, yeah. mate, somebody else to get some advice. And they don't go to doctors, and sometimes doctors won't even treat them. Uh, they won't see them. Yep. We need to get past that so that even if a person's using antibiotics, they can go to doctors or a group of doctors or somewhere so that we can start to have good medical records of the side effects, what to treat, how they treat, yep. what kind of anabolic steroids, how well they are do, uh, do certain things, how well they don't do certain things. But right now, we don't have that. And it's amazing that anabolic steroids are one of the ones that we don't have that on. We, we could, let's say someone uses cocaine. We have plenty of doctors who specialize in cocaine use, and they can talk about all different kinds of things about what they do and how they do it because they specialize in that. But yet we don't have doctors who are specializing in the care of people who are using anabolic steroids. For fear maybe of what these men are going to be doing, they're going to be taken, they're going to be thrown in jail, charged with a crime or something. Mm. Uh, when they, when we could have more uh, input. And, and one of the things we do can see is that when we come back to the cardiovascular effects, if anabolic steroids cause so many heart attacks, where are they? I was reviewing an article today that was went over like five different years of anabolic steroids and they came up with 19 different cases they were attributing to some kind of toxic effect from anabolic steroids. 19 out of millions of men in the United States using anabolic steroids every year. I would imagine there's hundreds of thousands within Australia using them every year. Yeah. And yet we're seeing this flash, and you would definitely see it on the news if it happened, yeah. of people having liver problems or heart problems. I'm sure there are some that are occurring because maybe they're not being monitored or doing too much or they're not taking care of themselves. Yeah. So the, the bottom line is that yes, uh, we might be able to see some heart effects, 
but there are they're very few and far between and they're in people who are not being monitored at all they're not taking care of themselves mm-hmm. and the liver problems are so overhyped it's unbelievable mm-hmm. i can sit there and say and over the many thousands of patients i've seen the number of people i've seen with liver problems was god very 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 few i've mm-hmm. seen more problems with people with liver problems who are overdosing on acetaminophen if you take acetaminophen a day that's 325 milligrams you're going to get in trouble after a while what's what's that pharmaceutical mate what's that one tylenol tylenol Tylenol. Uh yeah i have heard that i have heard that yeah crazy 325 milligram tablets and if you take over two grams a day that's eight of them you're going to have elevated liver functions and you're going to get in trouble Mm, and then the other the the other thing about liver functions is when you have semen uh, who exercise a lot, you all, you're going to yeah. see elevated yeah. liver enzymes almost uniformly all the time. Yeah. So you have to be very careful about what kind of liver enzyme you're measuring. Yeah. Uh, so it's specific to the liver and not, it's not specific to muscle. And you see that, you see that often. Yeah. Um, okay. There are certain liver anabolic steroids, we call them the 17-alpha alkylated steroids, like Oxandrolone, Winstrol, Anavar. Yeah. Uh, they're oral steroids that you take by mouth and are active. And they uh, seem to affect the liver a little bit more, and you do get elevated liver enzymes with them. But again, I've, with the patients I've seen taking them, liver enzymes get elevated, they go up, and they come right back down again. Fascinating stuff there from Dr. Michael Scally, part mm. one of his chat. Yep. Rawdon, I mean, we would, he finished up there talking about some of the... Uh, well, you pushed him on some of the health concerns. Yeah. I mean, I think in the the first part of that interview when he was spruiking the benefits of, of anabolic steroid use, we're yeah. stressing it was for that aging population with a declining muscle mass. And what mm-hmm. he's saying is there, there's a huge amount of health benefits yeah. to be able to put someone later in life who's older to sort of repel the frailty yeah. syndrome and yeah, uh, yeah. With, with a with a measured cycle of steroids yeah uh, and the health and, and, benefits thereafter and the and the the reduced burden on uh, society yeah really yes you know think about that so yeah an interesting perspective there very very insightful so we'll have him back on again next week and uh, excellent we'll go balls deep into um, mm. I guess a bit more detail about some of the different compounds he'll mm-hmm. talk about uh, orals versus injectables and all yep. that kind of stuff so yep, yep, yep. Um, dotting I's and crossing T's very bringing much it home so. strong yeah. this week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> feel free to get in contact with us at the podcast yep. go to under the speak bar speak pipe can be left yep under the bar podcast.com yep leave us a speak pipe and if you want to get in touch with uh, Tommy, oh, yeah. how, how would you do that, Tom? Uh, TomHewitt.com.au, which expires in five days. I just got an mm. email this morning, so I'll, I'll make Mate, sure I saw that it, one out. Let it, let it become elusive. Yeah. Coming soon, like my uh, <laughs> website is, thejabwamethod.com. But of course, uh, Instagram and Facebook, you can uh, hit me up there or on my private uh, Rawdon Dubois on um, just on Facebook you can hit me up I'm usually chat and yes. if you buy me a coffee I'm yours yeah very very good <laughs> easy good? okay bye done <laughs>